0: know why I'm so passionate about music to code by because it works I'm still getting a steady stream of success stories from developers just like you who sail effortlessly through hours of coding there's only one problem they can't get enough well not only are we up to track 13 but you can download them all in one shot for a new low price the collection was 54 bucks just a little while ago Still only a little more than 4 bucks a track, but now you can get all 13 for only 39 bucks. That's only 3 bucks a track. Yeah, that's more like it. 325 minutes of pure bliss. Go get it now at collection.musictocodebuy.net.
1: .NET Rocks, episode 1344, with guest Billy Hollis. Recorded Thursday, August 25th, 2016.
0: Welcome back to DotNet Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. We're here for
1: an hour with the Reverend. Reverend Billy Hollis. He's not really a one. I just said he that. He really way. isn't. No. However. Yes. They have just finished painting my office, so woo! <laughs> Whoa, oh, fumes? <laughs> it's a little fumey. It's little not f- too bad. I still wanted to be down here. Yeah. I, uh, I set up the 43-inch 4K display, plugged it into my Surface Book. Yeah. Now, that's a big monitor. <laughs> now, we only
0: recorded the show last week, so... You're probably uh, done with fumes now. Something and, like that, yeah. Yeah, you've got your 4K monitor. Things are, sounds like it's getting back to normal. and
1: Pieces in, uh, are being assembled bit by bit. Still some lights left to install and things to put on the walls and cleaning to be done. But Very cool. Uh, you know, starting to look like it's supposed to look. Awesome. Well, what I have to share today on
0: Better know Framework doesn't necessarily relate to uh, XAML, although it does relate to the HoloLens. So let's roll the music. All right, buddy, what do you got? This being show 1344, if you go to 1344.poop.me, it is a blog post, and it's called HoloLens Mixed Reality Streaming Done Right. And I will just summarize. I'm not going to read the whole thing. So if you have a HoloLens or you've seen a demo, you know that the HoloLens has a little web server built into it, right? And you can connect that uh over Wi-Fi with your laptop so that you can get this mixed reality streaming view. And the only problem is that if you just connect your laptop to Wi-Fi and you connect your HoloLens to Wi-Fi, that you now have to go through the hub, the Wi-Fi hub and uh it adds five to six seconds of uh, delay. Right, it's a little laggy. Yeah, exactly. However, if you use Windows 10 Anniversary Edition and you enable the mobile hotspot on the computer, Hmm. you can connect the HoloLens directly to that hotspot, right? And then you open up and connect and you've got like maybe a second Latency below a second, about a half a second sometimes. That's
1: pretty good. Yeah.
0: It's especially good for demos because when you do a demo, you know, I've done live demos for people where, you know, somebody's got the HoloLens on, they're looking around the room, everybody else is looking at the screen, but it's five or six seconds behind what is happening in reality. So, it isn't, you know, it does take some getting used to. This is just um, a much better hack.
1: Easier way to compensate.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So
1: there you go Love it Love it Love it Love it Hey who's talking to us today Richard Ah, I grabbed a comment off a of show 1193 The one we did with one Billy Hollis and we talked yeah. about Universal apps Generated a ton of comments Which you know Billy as As a good citizen of course Jumped in and was Having conversations with folks mm-hmm. uh, But this one And this is I guess You know about a year ago now This is from Chris Snazzle, Who says I'm 10 weeks into a UWP project And the experience has been Pretty bumpy so far mm. Microsoft's grossly oversold the responsive slash adaptive capabilities of the platform. The idea that you can write one app and it will scale its appearance and user experience from a four-inch phone to an 84-inch Surface Hub with APIs Microsoft's provided is bollocks, frankly, which is a good word. Doesn't do it automatically. (laughs) Well, (laughs) there's more to it than that, right? I've wound up splitting the app into two targets, one for mobile and one for desktop. I'm ignoring the, quote, mobile continuum for the moment, since there doesn't appear to be a mechanism to detect when the app's in faux desktop mode. Mm. According to Build, the mobile interface is supposed to infer continuum mode when the window width is greater than 768. Given that the reference size of an 8-inch tablet is 1024 by 640, I'm not sure that's a valid assumption. Wow, mm. resolution that low on an 8-inch tablet? I didn't think anything was that low anymore. Huh. In general, compared to other platforms I've written for, it's hard not to come away with the impression that the team between UWP and WinRT had a pretty limited experience building apps, mobile or otherwise. I seem to have an ever-expanding collection of workarounds and helper classes to coerce WinRT into something useful. I suppose it could be deliberate. I'm almost compelled to write more apps just to get the value out of the work i put in this library so far. Mm. Apple and iOS's reputation was built on attention to detail. In contrast, Microsoft's mobile team seems to be staffed by cats with a wide variety of cognitive awareness disorders. And as a consequence, future Windows 10 mobile work is out of bounds until it's less dire. Billy mentioned plans to work on an app that's on the dark theme. And I should point out that Microsoft doesn't appear to have actually tested this thing particularly well. For example, the overlay dropped over a page's content when displaying app dialogue actually lightens the content rather than darkening it. After trawling through the guts of the theme definition, I eventually tracked down the problem to them using a brush for the overlay that ultimately points to the same color in both themes. Since the themes aren't documented, it took far too long to isolate and fix this problem. And Billy at the time commented back. Actually, there was a good conversation back and forth about the, yeah, you know, the problem here is that. The engineers have built a certain amount, then build happens. So they ship no matter what. And the marketing people spin it sort of out of realms. Uh, the only thing you can hope for is that they're going to continue, uh, you know, actually finish getting it built. And, and uh, Chris, hoping you are listening to the show because, you know, we're going to send you a mug. Maybe you'd uh, comment back again and let us know, you know, how's it going a year later? Did you, did they actually improve things enough that your pain went down mm-hmm. or uh, did you, Switch over to Electron. I mean, who knows? It could have been anything. Huh. So, Chris, thank you so much for your comment. A Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at dot or via any of our social media, because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And follow us on
0: Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet, because uh, they're the cornerstone of our dark themes. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, man, I don't know what to say. We'll have to see what Billy says about that, but I'm, I'm just, uh, I have my own ideas. I, I kind of think that Microsoft technology, you know, the developer technology sort of spirals after and plays catch up to the, you know, their APIs and they're, they, they change so often and react to markets so quickly that, uh, they're, they're exponentially making things more complex. But anyway, Chris did that's
1: make me- up one point, which I, I totally can get behind, which is this often the guys that are building these tools have not built line of business apps before Probably or have right. minimal experience. It. They're, they're trying to learn it by proxy. And so they just don't think the same way. Yeah.
0: Well, anyway, let's see what Billy Hollis has to say about that. Billy, of course, has been on the show many, many, many times. Uh, he's a software designer and developer with a contrarian streak that often challenges conventional wisdom in the industry. He has a consulting practice in Nashville, Tennessee in the United States, and his team focuses on user experience design or UX, also universal apps for Windows 10, advanced user interface development, rules based architectures and healthcare systems. He teaches design classes for UX and technical classes on XAML and Windows 8 and 10. Unlike many instructors, though, he can usually
1: keep you awake for the entire class. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, he was a guest on show three. Yeah. And this would be his 15th or 16th appearance. Wow. That's great. What do you think, Billy? What do you think
0: of uh, this whole conversation you were having with this uh, viewer, listener?
2: Well, I, I I can't disagree with most of the points, having done enough Windows 10 UWP development. Uh, when When we went to our first client, and they wanted to choose UWP as a platform – Because they wanted something with the absolute maximum shelf life. Mm. They had used software development technologies and gotten 25, 30 years out of them. And unfortunately, the industry today is kind of oriented around just stuff just changes all the time, which means that projecting what the shelf life is for something that, that you base, let's say, on typical web technologies or on tip, on various sorts of native technologies. Let's just pick one out of the hat. Mm. What do you think the shelf life of a Xamarin application is? Mm. Well, especially six months ago before Microsoft bought them, that was a really hard question to ask. And even today, we don't really know how it fits into Microsoft strategy. So one of the reasons that, that, that the biggest reason that our client chose UWP was that they felt like that was a platform that Microsoft can't possibly pull the rug out from under them because the Windows 10 shell is written in it. Yeah. And parts of Office 2016 are written in it so that they, they could rely on that, that particular platform being there a long time. But what we found, and I, at the time I estimated that it would take longer than equivalent development in something like XAML. And my initial estimate was that it would take maybe 15% longer. And that was an underestimate. No doubt about it. It's more like 25 to 30% more work. To get results out of UWP than it is uh, WPF at this point, well, because mm-hmm. of a lot of the things that that your commenter talked about, and one of the things to, when you go into it, it's simpler if you just don't worry about the way Microsoft thinks you should do it because, as you mm-hmm. say, they don't they don't write real apps. So when I look at an application, talk and I'm somebody saying, well, gosh, can't we span this from phone and tablet and all the way up desktop or continuum or whatever? Well, why? Why do you want to do that? The user experience is probably going to be to need to be different on every one of those form factors. Right. The use case right. for those form factors is different. Why do you want the same UI to scale from top to bottom? Now, you might want the same executable to go from the low to the high end so that you've only got one app in the store to worry about. But you're one probably going to peak... What, That's right. One, one EXE, one, one app that that gets Mm -hmm. installed no matter what form factor you've got. But I think it makes much more sense to peek at what you've got, and then put up the appropriate view that goes with that set of circumstances. So when you go to try and figure out what view that you're going to use, that might depend upon a lot of things, it might depend upon Not just the form factor, but what type of user you got. What kind of role do they have? What are they doing right now? All those things might go into putting up the appropriate view. So these demos that Microsoft does of, look, you can make it work on all these different devices, that kind of stuff, I don't really understand why they seized in on that. But then I didn't understand in 2001 why every Microsoft person said, .NET is a platform for building XML-based web services. That was just a stupid, stupid marketing message. Right. And I don't think the marketing message is for UWP are as bad as that. But I do think that they overemphasize some things just because they kind of think they're cool and that other platforms don't have those things. And their inexperience doing general applications sort of leads them down that path of emphasizing things don't matter that much. Um, on the other hand, I do think that UWP is quite viable as a platform. We have built stuff on it. It does have a very, very long shelf life. And, The pattern that I'm starting to see develop in the majority of the clients we go to talk to is that they don't they can't commit to having all Windows 10 desktops at this point.
0: Well, isn't it also that Microsoft likes to point their guns at whatever happens to be the hip technology buzzword of the day? You know, whatever it is, they want to make sure that you know the those executives sign off on it. And so if they've got buzzwords like in 2001, it was XML web services, and then you know it was SOA, and you know oh geez, do you remember even before that where where it was five nines of reliability? You know that they 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 have these buzzwords and they uh, their the technology gets repackaged and remarketed to those buzzwords of the day, which may have little or no impact on what real programmers in the real world are doing.
2: Right, because the decision makers increasingly don't really understand um, the, what's really going on in software development and, and, and their IT. Their understanding about it, if they've been promoted to some management decision making capacity, is probably several years out of date. So... Those people are a level or two removed from what's really going on in the trenches. And the Microsoft people are even further removed from what's going on in the trenches. And then I'll, some of it's driven also by computer journalists, people who write articles about things and they really don't know what's going on at all. Um, the best ones among them will tend to kind of admit that they don't really do these things. And they they try to get a broad range of opinions and synthesize them. Mary Jo Foley would be an example of somebody who I think does that really well. But a lot of of stuff that gets published in the, the computer uh, publication literature doesn't really have any connection to what's going on in the real world. So, yeah, I think that, that there is a tendency on the part of the Microsoft people to not really be connected to, to, to the needs that, that people have. And they look at some of these situations that are out there and they just don't even they don't even know such people exist. And I can give you a really good one from a training class I taught a couple couple of weeks, a couple of months ago. Mm. There's a company and you've actually seen some of their gear and I'm going to leave their name out of it because I don't I don't want to to to, I don't want to be seen as slamming them because they're a great company and they've grown very, very rapidly and they've been pretty successful. They do engineering stuff for the most part and they have over a dozen locations scattered around. Most of their locations have developed over the last 20 years using software that was written in Microsoft Access. Now, these people are successful. These are not people that are fumbling around and aren't aren't moving forward, et cetera. But they've reached the point where they need to do something on the enterprise level. So they recognize that they need to to, to adopt some of these new platforms and brought me down to train them in in WPF. So I'm in the class and I'm, I'm working with them. And I say... Uh, I'm talking about creating a value converter, which is a, a thing in, in WPF and say, yeah. okay, to create a value converter, you implement an interface named IValueConverter. converter. Now that sentence makes perfect sense to you and to almost everybody that listens to this program. Yeah. But, but I can tell you that three quarters of the people, two thirds of the people in that class, the phrase implement an interface might as well have been in a foreign language. Wow. I mean, they, <laughs> it didn't mean anything to them because if you come from that world where you've used very, very straightforward tools like Access, then the object-oriented parts of the .NET world, you don't know about those. Mm. Now, again, understand this is a very, very successful company, and they want to move into the enterprise world. But the number of steps it's going to take to do that, the number of technologies they have to assimilate, the number of our architectural concepts they have to assimilate is just huge. And Microsoft doesn't realize people like that exist, I don't think. They they just assume that their entire base is made up of people who kind of will figure out how to make it work out that have been working in .NET for 10 years or whatever and will just come somehow get through the process of making stuff work. And for the most part, teams do. And that's true either in both the XAML worlds and in the web world. You look at the amount of technologies you have to assimilate, the complexities that go with it, and it's just huge. And yet somehow we manage to make it work. And Microsoft sure. kind of takes advantage of us there. They just assume that we're going to make it work no matter what message they put out.
1: Yeah. So true. And it well, and, and this has been the mantra for, I mean, I remember when WPF first came out and there was no guidance around it. It's like they literally just chucked it at the wall to see what we would do. And near as I can tell, the only one who grabbed on was, was you, Billy.
2: <laughs> well, I was one of a small number. I'll give you that. And then, of course, that was contaminated by uh, the problems that they went through, the political infighting in Microsoft, in which Silverlight was mortally wounded as a bystander in the political infighting. Right. Um, And and so, yeah, the the entire message there has been muddled. And as a result, Microsoft has this enormously innovative technology, and it's going to have a very, very long lifespan. And people are still scratching their heads. Number one, you you talk to the average decision maker. He doesn't know about all the political stuff and how the changes in Microsoft's management and the fact that that XAML is now a centerpiece of a lot of Microsoft strategy. He doesn't right. know any of that because Microsoft has not put that message out. No. I, I don't understand why, but they haven't. So he still is probably stuck in the, well, yeah, but what if they're going to jerk it out from under us like they did Silverlight? Well, they're not going to do that, but how does he know? And as you said, there's not really... Very much guidance or any really very many examples on no. how to make it successful. I don't, I don't want to be immodest about this, but if you want to see the biggest set of samples of innovative things you can do with XAML, the best place to go is our website and the stuff we've done for clients over the year. And I don't say that with any kind of, of bravado or whatever. Are you ship software? I, I, yeah. I don't know who else has, has been really doing these things. Sure. And psychologically, psychologically, what it comes down to is because Microsoft doesn't give them the guidance. I, you know, I talk to XAML developers, <laughs> that people who have that have produced XAML software, and I look at it and I go, "What? Well, why didn't you do better?" And it's as if it's as if I'm taking them. It's as if I'm taking people to like the nicest gourmet grocery store in the world. Think of like. Whole Foods made a hundred times better, and you take somebody in, you go, you can have anything you want, and I'll pay for it. And they go, okay, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll have some chips and a, and a drink, a soft drink. But you know, don't you want this? Look at all this wonderful food. Don't, don't you want it? No, no, just chips and drink. Come on, let's get out of here. Yeah.
0: They, they really
2: don't <laughs> seem to care that they've been handed this magical engine that will do amazing things, because Microsoft, partially because Microsoft hasn't told them to care. Microsoft hasn't, hasn't set the bar high enough. That has some not the been the message that they've been sending. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Microsoft, some of Microsoft's own apps just really don't demonstrate what you can do with this technology. And there's never been a good reference app in XAML. And I get pretty frustrated by that. Even though, from a personal standpoint, when somebody does decide to go to the XAML world, and we had a phone call just day before yesterday with a place in California. And and these people are looking to redevelop using XAML for some some very um, – some some stuff that involves life and death. Okay. I won't go into the details about it because sure. it's it's kind of private. But and, – and they start asking, okay, who can we get to help us do this? And because all their other – it's all classic BB stuff and they want to go forward. And whoever they ask, they keep telling them to come to me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's got to be Billy. It's got to be Billy. It's got to be Billy.
2: From, that's right. So it's so from my self-interest, it's best if that I'm that myself and my team are the only ones doing this stuff because we can charge extortionate rates and get them. But that's that's not really good for the industry as a whole. Right. And and and, and I just I have this vision in my head of what it ought to look like in terms of putting in front of these developers Oh, call it an access for the web or Visual Basic yeah. for Azure or something like that. Yeah. Something that moves in the same direction that Light Switch tried to before it got caught up in the whole Silverlight debacle. Um, something that, that simplifies development so that these people that want to come from a Microsoft world of Microsoft Access and they want to get to uh, the modern software with modern backends, modern databases, modern UI, that they don't have to spend a year just acquiring the skills they need to do it.
1: Yeah. I'm kind of surprised you've never put out a book that was just sort of guidance. Well, here's the problem there. Such a book would
2: depend upon people acquiring a different way of thinking about right. applications. Mm-hmm. I did a session on this a while back, and you you guys and I have talked about it some. Sure. The way mm-hmm. I sort of express it now is – That XAML is the most compositional platform on the planet. That you, Mm -hmm. the way, the way you get things is by combining small pieces to get interesting results. Right. And the combinatorics of that say now you can do anything you want with it, but it isn't the same as dragging big chunks out or even it isn't really the same as, as doing HTML, which is very, very loosey goosey in the way you put things together.
0: Yeah. It with isn't... XAML,
2: it's it's much more structured and rigid, but once you get it together, it works a lot better. It's a lot more stable.
0: And reuse is really, really big. Getting... But yeah, reuse is
2: much, much better in the XAML world because you've got a clean object-oriented API to work with.
0: Right. And uh yeah, and I f I found that once I cracked a few mysteries of XAML and and had some base components that I could mo- you know um customize and work with over and over again, I was so much more productive. I think yeah, just getting started you, is daunting. That's all.
2: You learn to think that way. So I can't put out a book that tells you how to do things until I turn your mind around. Mm, and I can't right. do that without you working in XAML for a month or two. Yep. And um, I have my training class does sort of promote that that approach. And that's the reason that it sells a lot, that that the XAML training class is specifically intended to help get you over that hump. Yeah. And to get you into that new world. And and our, I'll be I mean, be honest about it, OK, because I don't I don't want to oversell here. I figure my success rates about 50 50, about 50 percent huh. of the companies that I go and teach XAML to get the spark and make the same transition you did, Carl. And now they're never going to think about software the same way again. And they're going to produce really, really innovative stuff. Mm-hmm. And 50 percent just kind of zero in on. Okay, he's taught me enough to make it to, to do the same things I did on other platforms, and I'm just gonna focus on that and ignore all this other stuff that he told me.
0: Right. Ignore the sort of the architectural ideas and the the compositional ideas and just focus on, you know, what does this syntax provide and what does that do? And what does this yeah. little object look like? Yeah.
2: And that's where I get the metaphor of I take them into this gourmet grocery store and all they want to get is chips and drink
0: right They just right. they
2: just don't care about all the wonder other wonderful stuff
1: that's there. Mm. They might as I, well be
2: shopping at a convenience store
1: and yeah where to, where to are me? the whim forms features of XAML? Can I get those please <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I, I want, I, don't you know well don't you have slim gems <laughs>
0: I <laughs> fell <laughs> into that trap very early on in w p f two and I maybe think everybody sort of has to go through that right you know if you've, you've think done everybody win-
2: does yeah but you can but if if you've if you've got. Some mentorship and some guidance and some motivation, you can you can make that that uh, you can make that transition pretty short. You can make the time in which you you spend constructing stuff that you're probably going to throw away because it isn't very good. You can keep that down to a minimum. When you look back at the first stuff that we did back in 2008, mm. and you guys did the .NET Rocks TV. DNR TV yep. of it at the time. Yep. And so, yeah, we didn't, we never produced a WPF application that looked like Windows Forms. Yeah. We just never did it. Nope. But we pushed. We really consciously made the decision that we're not going to accept the stuff that we always did.
1: Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? I must be that happy
0: time again. Yep, you got it. It's time to bring a new cutting edge buzzword process technology to the table. You'll do a deep dive, getting all your ducks in a row to maximize your buzzword usage, which will empower your team to produce real results. At the end of the day, need to fast-track your game-changing initiative processes and hit the ground running with a knowledge transfer that goes beyond the low-hanging fruit. So do yourself a favor and take it to the next level. (laughs) <laughs>
1: what did you just say?
0: I don't know. Doesn't that sound familiar? I, <laughs> I actually, I found this blog post that says, uh, it's called 25 business buzzwords that drive your coworkers co- completely crazy. Right. I think it's irritate your colleagues. Nice. Yeah. I'll link to I've it. Never had a,
1: I've never had a problem with that. I'm really good at that. <laughs>
2: There's a great video, too, that that strings the buzzwords together. I don't know if you've seen that. I could send you a link. Probably. It's hilarious to see these people in the meeting dressed up. It was a professionally produced video in which, yeah, they say a whole bunch of stuff, and it's all just completely meaningless.
0: The Probably the the number one is unpack.
1: <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> Take offline, synergize. I didn't even reach these. Some of these move the needle. You don't needle. need to go that far. Pain point, reach out. Yeah, I'm going to reach out to them and see. Nice. Yeah.
1: That'd be great. That'd be great.
0: It's actually time, Richard, to give away a Component 1 studio to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, let me tell you about Grape City Active Reports, the very first product that we ever advertised on this show. Wow. Still the best reporting platform for all your business needs. You can design, publish, view, print, and export operational reports such as invoices, expense reports, tax and government forms, as well as strategic and analytical reports such as sales performance, budgeting, and revenue analysis. Active Reports gives you the operation and flexibility you need to turn your data into informative, pixel-perfect reports across the enterprise. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Nate Pink. Congratulations, Nate. Yeah. Golf club for you, sir. Golf oh, clap for you. And he just won the Component One Studio. That's a big pile of awesome from Component One. And if you don't know what we just did here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .netrocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December... We give away a five thousand dollar technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the Dot and I Rocks fan club, but you have to sign up to win. Billy, it's been a while since we asked you what you would do with five thousand dollars, but technology-wise, what would you buy if you had it? Uh, well, I already spent six thousand on two hololenses. Nice.
1: There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh,
2: I'm, I'm I'm pretty deep into that. I have a session on the hololens at one of the conferences coming up this fall at the VS Live and in uh, Anaheim, I think. So mm-hmm. yeah, I've kind of spent my budget there, and but there are there are some other places that I would kind of start spending money that I, I that I didn't kind of realize that makes sense. I think most of us kind of have very ordinary networking equipment, for example, mm. in our home offices or whatever. Yep. And I recently upgraded to some commercial grade grade stuff. From there's a company called Ubiquity, if you know who that is. Oh okay. They make a lot of they make a lot of commercial grade stuff. You'd be shocked at how much nicer it is to have commercial grade stuff in your house in terms of the performance that you get and the flexibility that you get to set it up. But it's expensive. Um, the stuff I have is probably close to a thousand dollars worth of stuff. Uh, I was able to obtain it in, in order to do some evaluation for review and things like that. So I didn't have to pay that much money. But having used it, I think it's worth that much.
1: Yeah. And it's something you use every day. Yes, right. I mean, that's the thing: is uh, that high quality Wi-Fi at the very minimum, go buy the high end of the consumer product, right? right? The 250 dollars units, not the fifty dollars units. But it is challenging to look at, and I've I've used Ubiquity for point to point data relaying, you know, across across mountainsides and things. Uh, but their their uh, surface mount access points, the the um, the uh, power over uh, Ethernet ones, the POEs, they're top of the line and mm. priced accordingly. Mm-hmm.
2: And so, if once I acquired that, I'd probably go out and get myself a Surface Book and all the accoutrements that go with that, which would run me over three thousand dollars right there. There you go. Because my poor Lenovo is just it's at almost three years now. And you know how computers just start acting a little bit funny
0: yeah, when get they get wonky. to that
2: age and you've banged them all over the world. Yeah. And everybody, including a couple of my colleagues who have Surface books, say that they're wonderful little machines. And so, I think I'm just about ready to pull the trigger and get one of those. And
0: Lenovo is coughing because you've been writing too much code on it. <laughs> <laughs> Did one too many lines.
2: Yeah, maybe so. Yeah. Too much code and too many rants. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. There you go. Hey, you know, we were talking before the break about, um, how WPF, uh, when you first get started in XAML, let's say that people tend to do the WinForms-ish, uh, architecture, the, the list boxes and the buttons and the scroll bars and all that stuff that they've done for years. And, you know, it, it took actually, you were a great mentor to me when, you know, you said, Let's consider the, the list box. You know, what is a list box? But it's a list of items. And then you showed me, and this was in DNR TV, you showed uh-huh. me that, that, um, list of notes, sticky notes. And it, you know, they were these graphical sticky notes that were representations of real notes. And when you clicked on them, they expanded and it just made perfect sense. And they can wrap around and, you know, um, horizontally and vertically, they, they can, uh, that you don't have to think of a list box as a list box. And that was one of the key architectural ideas that for me has gone all the way from Windows devices to iOS and Android devices. You know, that once you start thinking of just new user interface paradigms and, uh, you figure out how to do it on these other platforms, it's just not, that's not the difficult part. The difficult part is changing the way you think about it. That's
2: right. Breaking loose from the past. That you have certain unconscious assumptions about how things work. You have an unconscious assumption that a list box is a thing that holds a set, a a, a vertical stack of strings. Mm. And you You kind of break from the past a little bit, first, you realize that it's not just a vertical stack of strings it's a vertical stack of tiny user controls, one of them representing each data item. Mm. They're not really user controls, but that's kind of mentally the way people think yeah, about yeah sure it. and then and then you break loose to the idea, well,' that be a vertical stack? Maybe I want to have a wrapping, or maybe I want one of the standard examples that I often do at conferences is an air airport concourse. With a list of data items that represent planes, and I have the planes positioned at their respective gates. Yeah. And, and that's still a list box underneath. Um, so you, you bit by bit, you break loose from this idea of what these concepts are. You no longer think of a tooltip as being a floating rectangle with some text in it. Right. You think of a tooltip as being something that hovers on a desktop system, but it, ge- has whatever data-driven stuff that you want inside of it. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, you do have to break loose from the past. And probably the next step after some of the things you talked about there, Carl, is to get to the point where you think about the visualizations of the data. Right. So you've got the theory that you can do a data template, but now you go through phases in how, you, how much richness you put into the visualization of the data. So, for example, in, in our latest client, they do fuel management software. And one of the things that came out of our UX design sessions was that clients ideally not would like to see the level of fuel at various locations in the form of a little tank, a little cross section of a tank with the fuel level shown and the percentage kind of layered on top of it. Right. And it that doesn't
0: visually, have to be it doesn't have to be perfect uh, representation. It can be cartoony. And those things are easy to do. Those things are very easy to do. It took me about 10 minutes
2: to prototype that out. I used a grid element with four rectangles and a text block.
0: A rounded rectangle for a tank, maybe? (laughs) Yeah, because I can do
2: a rounded, yeah, rounded rectangle for the fuel, rounded rectangle for the tank outline, a couple of other rectangles for other, one to obscure part of the fuel to uh to, to make the percentage, to make the fuel level look right. Mm. So it really wasn't very difficult to do. But this is something that even I couldn't have done seven or eight years ago after our first couple of rounds. I yeah. wouldn't have thought that way. Right. And the longer you're in the environment, the more your mind kind of frees up to think about these ways of doing things. XAML is just an enormously powerful technology. And I, I would like to see it kind of creep through the industry. And with a little bit of help on Microsoft's part, I think it would. But let's be honest about this. I don't think they I don't think even the people on the teams that produce XAML sort of look at it this way. They don't produce data visualizations no, no. using it, XAML.
0: It really takes a, a sort of a right brain, a sort of um imaginative uh spark, doesn't it? To think I have this thing that I wanna show. You know, let's just take that fuel gauge, for example. I have this thing that I wanna show, I have an idea of what it. Might look like in, in sort of primitive ways, but how does that break down into primitive shapes that I can put together to make look like something that approaches what this is? Most people, I think that are, you know, your, your basic programmer, left brain, scientific mind types may not m- make that leap of, um, uh, imagination.
2: And, and one of the reasons they don't make it is that they carry that, that linkage to the past. That says, Oh, I've never done this before, and this looks like it's going to be hard.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> they
2: just automatically assume that it isn't cost effective. And let's be honest about it. And a lot of, in most of the stuff they've worked in before, it isn't cost effective. Mm. And this is, this is a, a, um, I don't want to call it, I don't want to call it an argument. Let's say a spirited discussion. Yeah. <laughs> that I get in with, get, get into with the HTML and JavaScript people because I show them some of the stuff we can do in, jo- in, in, in uh, XAML. And they go, well, you, you can do that in HTML and with JavaScript, HTML5 and JavaScript. And I go, okay, show me. And they go, well, I don't think anybody's ever done it. Well, yeah, it might be theoretically possible, but if it's going to be so difficult that it's not really cost effective. That the value you get out of the value, the the visualization doesn't pay you for the amount of work to be done. Then nobody in their right mind is going to put that into a project. Mm-hmm. So being able to, to to do these visualizations is step one, and knowing that it's possible. Step two is having done enough of them and learn how to think about it well enough, or know who to go to to sort of. Guide you in the right direction so that it is ten minutes or half an hour instead of two weeks to make something happen. Yeah, and a lot of people don't get past that because they have this mental block. They just think that's going to be hard. I'm not. I'm not even going to put that in, in my screen design because I know that that would just be hard. In fact, if you if you think about the right combinations of things, it isn't very hard.
1: It's just in how you actually think about it. Not to change gears on you here, Billy, but I've been hanging out on nextver.com and your portfolio apps. I mean, they really show some of the things that are possible.
2: I'd like to think so. We have been doing this for a long time and you don't even get to see a lot of the stuff that we've done because a lot of our clients won't let
1: us show stuff. Right. Right. Can we talk about a couple of them just because I find them very inspirational, like the the Midas Juvo app. It's just, you, you know, you can see your sort of standard forms over data elements in there. But then you have all these other visualizations. It's really exciting, actually.
2: Uh, we That is a, a, a great example of an app that kind of we tried to do as much forward thinking as we could. It's actually written in Silverlight. It's written, Midas is the healthcare division of Xerox. So okay. we did various projects for Midas. Uh, we actually got involved because uh, Midas purchased a small startup here in Nashville that we'd done. The, the product for. And then we subsequently did uh, six years of work for Modus. Wow. If you can imagine that every time we got to the end of a project, they'd say, yeah, we got another one. Actually, that finally did end in June for the first time in six years, we aren't doing things for Xerox's <laughs> Modest division. Uh, uh so we were ready to take on another big project. By the way, that, that that's one of the things that means. Um, but yes, Midas brought together data from all these different hospital systems and was intended for a nurse to carry it around. It was written in Silverlight, but we did put touch-based stuff into it so that they could get all the information they needed with some fairly light data entry. And we were pretty happy with it because we exposed the data we thought in ways that were very, very effective. So yeah, that that's one of our um, that's one of our our better examples, I think.
1: And you know. Uh- I know we talk about Silverlight being dead. I mean, Microsoft doesn't say that, but it's still XAML under the hood. So, That's right. you know, the stuff you wrote here is, is not, yeah, dead per se, as long as they continue installing Silverlight. How hard would it be to port it to sort of traditional WPF?
0: It wouldn't
2: be that difficult at all to port it to to, to traditional mm-hmm. WPF. There would be some detail you have to work on, but it wouldn't be that bad. Um, mm-hmm. We think, though, what's more likely, since it's a mobile um, application, that that at some point the owners, the people who who own it, will want to to move it over to a Windows 10 UWP, uh, a Surface form factor, basically. Right. And the reason there that I say that is that even though the UWP does take longer and we would have to do quite a lot more work in order to bring it over, the the kind of touch experience you can get is just somewhat superior Mm -hmm. in in the UWP world. I see that breakdown a lot is that when companies – have decided that for one reason or another, the web way of doing things just doesn't fit what they do because it's complex data on a desktop, special security needs, whatever, then WPF tends to be the default solution for all their desktop stuff. But since it does not give a particularly good touch experience, they typically start dipping their toe in the water on Windows 10 UWP by doing their mobile apps. And yeah. so I I would not be surprised to see um uh, Xerox come back at some point, Midas come back, And and
0: look to make that a Windows 10 app instead. Yeah, it just seems like it's not all that big a deal anymore. What we used to think of um, most of the work that we did is, and most of the pain of learning new technologies was sort of, how how do I get what I've done here over to this new platform? You know, how do we translate it? How do we convert VB6 to VBNet, you know? Whereas really the, this whole, the whole last, I don't know, say eight years of software development have brought forth these patterns that are just so similar across all of these platforms that once I change my brain to figure out how to write this stuff and how to make composite things that I can build upon, I, you can really do it in any platform. It just doesn't seem that big a deal anymore. That's not where the the time is mostly spent I, I i think that's
2: completely true and and in a narrow sense you learn XAML and that stuff we talked about about your brain working differently as mm. soon as you learn that on one XAML platform you can go to any other and yeah. we're starting XAML is available not just in WPF and Windows 10 but also there's XAML and Xamarin that you can use to yep. create screens right. there's a, and there's a company that is in late beta with a product to do your web layout in XAML and convert it to HTML5 mm. it doesn't do everything XAML will do of course but it does quite a lot so you can transfer those abilities over but in a broader sense, yeah, learning some of the patterns, compositional thinking, UX design, how you visualize data, how you talk to users to draw them out on the things that you need. Once you've gotten the, once you've developed those skills, they transfer to just about any environment you want to go to. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why I don't understand why developers don't work a little harder in that area. Even just something so simple as listening skills. I find that developers are normally n- not nearly as good as they as they used to be. I'm sorry, and I did joke you say about something. <laughs> 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 I mean, because I, the the studies show that the typical person listens to another person with active listening for about thirty seconds before they drift off. Hmm. Wow! Now, you, with practice, you can get that up to three to five minutes, but that's a skill that you develop. And in particular, with developers, they have the problem, and I've joked about this many times. Is they go into the meetings and they start listening to people describe the problem to be solved, and five minutes later, they stop listening because they're coding the solution in their heads. Yeah, they can't. That's the code addiction aspect of what they do. So the ability to 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 focus on people and listen is just an extraordinarily valuable skill that will have a huge impact on your career. And the number of developers I see who
1: actually try to do it is minuscule. Yeah, what about mobile development in with these sorts of styles? I know I know you did a WinPhone app back in the day, but uh, you know, are you do you get much demand for that in the work that you're doing?
2: We don't get a lot of of very highly mobile demand, mostly because the Windows Phone has such a small percentage. Yeah. So we did we did the Comcast Xfinity DVR controller for um, Windows 8, the Windows 8 phone. Right. And we've, we've seen that despite the fact that we kind of played around with it to see what it would take to do it to Windows 10, the guy that wrote it did. And it really wasn't very hard. He actually got a functional version just as a, as an experiment to see if it would work. And, um, but we don't see any interest from either Microsoft or Comcast to make that happen. Hmm. No. And so, so they're just the, the Windows Phone aspects. We don't see much, but Surface form factors are very popular, and so we see warehouse apps and other kinds of apps that people want to do that are mobile on a Surface form factor. The demand for that is is reasonably high.
1: Hmm. And so that's a ten inch form factor. Do you do you do anything for iPad or do you stick strictly with Surface?
2: We do some iPad. We have a person on staff who's very talented with iPad. And mm-hmm. in many cases, the reason is that somebody wants both. Almost, right. almost nobody comes to us just for iPad development. But they might very well come to us and say, yeah, we, want, we want something that runs on iOS and on the Surface form factor. And right. so we have the capacity to do that. The one platform that at this point we don't really touch is Android. And if somebody ever wanted us to, we'd probably use Xamarin for that.
1: Yeah. But it's it's also interesting to think it's got more your UI styling and the way you think about user experience seems almost agnostic to platform at this point.
2: It is pretty agnostic. We don't we we really don't see a lot of very intense value in in the Windows 10 design guidelines for example. There are a few right. things in there that you pick up and you use, but there really isn't very much. Almost all of the design that you see on those screens comes about because of the stuff that we do as a team, uh, primarily our UX uh, uh, visual design lead, a fellow named David Garcia, who is just Just extraordinary. He has a master's in computer science and a minor in graphic arts. And we've been working with him for over 10 years now. A lot of what really makes that stuff pop comes from him. And the work that he can do is better than any theming or anything we've ever seen out of Microsoft. So he's able, he's able to produce apps that I don't know. Richard, you can look at them and see if you want to back me up on this. But I think they look better than the apps that Microsoft produces in XAML in terms of visual appeal.
1: Huh. Well, are you looking at Stafflinks, for example? Because that's one of your latest apps. Is up on the portfolio.
2: Well, I mean, Stafflinks is coming up on ten years old now. Wow. It's about eight years old and, and we still think that it's a pretty good example, but we've got, we've done newer things since then. I hope that when we finish the current project for fuel management, that the client will allow us to, to do some demos on that because we're really doing some very innovative things. We've really stepped up the game on this one. And, hmm. and so we continue to evolve. So we look at Stafflinks, which was done in 2008, went into beta in early 2009. And to us, that's a primitive version of an app now there are all kinds of things we all Well, we could do better than that now, but to right. the average corporate developer who looks at it, man, that looks, that looks science fiction to them.
0: Yep. <laughs> it looks great. This is all great stuff. What do you, do you think Microsoft would be better served by actually getting some more, uh, people like David, you know, the, the computer science on one side and graphic design on the other and, and actually put him to work writing, you know, uh, absolutely oh, and- they would
2: yeah they would absolutely benefit from it they can't have david okay
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but but here's here's the thing from what i've been able to tell inside microsoft the majority of the people that 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 sort of think about things on the design side come from more of the web graphic design background yeah and and so and, and there's also this very in, there's a lot of pressure within microsoft to keep design minimalist because Microsoft aspires to go on all these kind of devices that you can imagine, including mm. form factors like the car and the watch and things like that, mm. where you're going to have to have a minimalist, very flat design or it's not going to work at all. Right. And so because of that and because Microsoft wants to have a pretty consistent design language, they tend to stick with designs that are flat and very minimalist. And one of the reasons that our stuff looks different and we think better is that we don't feel like we have that, that restraint that constraint. We, we will put whatever design is appropriate for the users of a particular application that we're working with. And, and, and we don't feel any kind of need to make it completely flat and fe- almost featureless in a sense. Compared to the stuff we do, we we put a lot, we pack a lot of visualization stuff in there, and we do use gradients and things like that to give it more of a depth and a feel that Microsoft tends to shy away from because they don't think that's a good idea for their common design language.
0: So these Access guys you were talking about earlier, is do you do you see that this is a common thing, theme? I mean, this isn't just an outlier. Do you, do you see more of them than you do people who are ready to innovate?
2: Oh, yeah, I absolutely do, because you look at the typical medium-sized corporation and and their development staff runs anywhere from four to maybe a dozen people. And there's just a limit to what that team can do when you start to try to, try to grapple with all the complexity that we have today. I mean, look, why should we expect those people to be able to do something that very, very large companies struggle with? Have you right. ever been to Comcast website? Yeah, yeah it's just slow and it's not very well designed and it's, it it does weird glitchy things and it loses the login credentials and I keep having to mm-hmm. log in. And so if, If a big technology based internet company struggles with these kinds of issues, and they're not the only ones, I just, I said, mentioned them, but there's also AT&T, the Microsoft store Mm. is, is kind of weird and glitchy in the way that it works. So I see even really big companies that struggle with this. So it shouldn't be at all surprising that medium sized companies are struggling with it, especially if they haven't been making a real, um, a real effort to try to acquire things in some kind of gradual uh, fashion over the last 10 years. When I mean, you take the folks that, that I was talking about, knowing enough about their situation and talking to their executives about what they needed, I I kind of s- sketched out back of an envelope t- style calculations. And we could help them in the following sense. We could have gone in with them and done a lot of sandboxy kind of development, which we specialize in, so that we could have smoothed the path of their developers coming in to do things. And we could have put in place an enterprise architecture, and we could have done the kind of professional development, starting with object orientation and up through. We could have written the navigation shell in WPF. That made, that brought everything together and simplified the, the whole world. But you look at all the things we would have had to do to bring this entire staff distributed into 14 offices up to the point where they needed to be. And it would have been seven figures to do it. And understand that their economic idea of what it takes to do software is based in the access world. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, I'm not even going to put a proposal in front of them right. to do that because they're going to laugh at me if they If I try to convince them to spend that kind of money, they're going to laugh at me. They're going to have to fail first. Right. They're going to have to go out and try to do the enterprise software and spend a few hundred thousand, realize how hard it is, and then they might see why I would charge that much. Yep. But right now, they're not going to. They're going to fail, and there isn't any option that Microsoft or anybody else is offering them that – is both safe in the terms of in, in, in the sense of being able to work for for the shelf life that they want the product to to have. That is um, absorbable, if that's a word. That there there that there's some kind of a path that their existing people can acquire it without it being too long or cost too much. And will be able to handle all the technical requirements that they have. They probably, for example, are gonna want to do web-based stuff because with all the engineering stuff they've got to do and a lot of the graphical stuff, that probably isn't gonna work. Yeah. In a in a web technology platform. Right. So they're just kind of stuck and and I, I don't even know what to tell them to do. And that's what hurts my soul is to see a company and see that it's successful and know what they've got coming up and the risks to that company that are coming up. And I have no clean solution to offer them. Mm. And and that it, it hurts my soul to see that because they're good people. Yeah. I
0: really, really like them and I see their future and I don't like what I see. Hey, one last thing before we go. Tell us a little bit about the uh, workshop you're doing at the Dev Intersection in the fall in Vegas, the Muggles Introduction to XAML Wizardry.
2: <laughs> well, that started when Richard said, Billy, I'd like you to do something that kind of is zamel for mere mortals yeah. was the the phrase that kind of sent me down that path, and I thought, well, how would I kind of describe it? And I did decide, okay, everybody kind of gets the Harry Potter reference, and so I um I I, I came up with that title and kind of did the session description in terms of fake sort of. Hogwarts yeah. courses, layoutology, layoutology, yeah. Yeah, layoutology and, tra- and transfiguration, which is actually a real course in the Harry Potter universe. <laughs> but it fits very well <laughs> into, the I- into the idea that you're taking data and you're transfiguring it into a form that the user needs to see. Right. And I'll tell you, to a lot of people in the XAML world, they see what I do and they think it's magic. Yeah. It looks like magic to them. It isn't really. I mean, once I explain it and show how it's done underneath, they all kind of go, yeah, I, I, I understand that.
0: Defense Against I, the Dark Arts.
2: Defense Against the Dark Arts, yeah. How to, how to I XAML that it doesn't get you in trouble
0: over a long span of time. I love it. There's
2: all kinds of stuff you can do in XAML just to hammer things into place that you will regret later. Yeah. So, it's a it's a full day and yeah. it's, it's focused on... People who don't know hardly any XAML or maybe they know some XAML and they just haven't gotten the kind of results out of it that they want. Yep. So, I kind of go back to the basics on layout and things like that. But it's very heavily example driven. It's look at this example that solved a real world problem and here's how we made it work underneath. Yeah. And so, I hope that because the only way I've found to get people off that dime, to get them disconnected from the past, is to pretty much bury them in examples. Yep. That's called the heuristic way of doing it. They eventually <laughs> kind of absorb all the examples and kind of realize, oh, oh, okay, I can combine these in interesting ways and apply them to my own circumstances. Love it. And oh, I, and I should mention, by the way, that, that <laughs> my, one of my colleagues, when I showed him that, we were on a trip to a client in Minnesota, and I showed him that that description of that workshop. Two days later, he sent me this. There's a place you can go on the web. Where you it, it I don't know if people have to know Harry Potter to know this, but um in the third book there's a guy named Sirius Black. Mm-hmm. And there are posters of him escaping from the wizard prison. And the posters say, Have you seen this wizard with his picture? <laughs> So on the web, you can upload your own picture to put into that poster. <laughs> oh, <great>. <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so my colleague did that. And now I now have one that's my picture on this thing saying, Have you seen this wizard? <laughs>
0: that's awesome.
2: <laughs> and so I actually put that in a video for the dev intersection thing. Um I was asked to to do like a two-minute thing of uh, uh what what the what the whole thing was what the workshop was going to be about, and I actually show some of the visualizations that I'm going to be talking about in this little two-minute video. Um, I think that's on Dev Intersection's Facebook page. They said they're going to put it on Twitter at some point. All right. But, yeah, you'll, you'll see me
0: looking like Sirius Black. That's great. Well, <laughs> it turns out you and I are doing a workshop on the same day. That's on Monday, the 24th of October. You're doing your uh, Muggles uh, XAML course, and I'm doing Getting Started with Xamarin Forms. So if you want to see Billy and I or both of us, uh, go to devintersection.com and, and uh, sign up. Thanks Billy. It's always great talking to you.
2: Well, I always have a lot of fun and I, I, I I'm hopeful that, that I can still come up with a few uh, little things that people people find useful because I've fifteen sixteen times yeah. on your show. How can I possibly <laughs> you know be interesting enough to do sixteen shows? That's a season in the T V world. <laughs> <laughs> and that just, just doesn't make sense to me. But I can but if people find some value in it, I'm
0: really happy about that. So, yeah, so are we thanks guys. Alright, we'll see you next time on dot net rocks.